Let's just pray together as we reflect on the words that we have just sung. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to reflect on what it means for Jesus to be in everything, may that be something of our response to that exhibition of love, that display of love, that reach out of love of Calvary, of a life lived for us, a death died for us, love so amazing. So, Father, as we reflect this morning, uh, may our hearts be moved to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see you this morning. Um, we are on our second of these talks on Jesus and everything. And uh, we were thinking a little bit last week um, about the, the, the wider context of, of what this means as we thought particularly about our calling, what it means to be followers of Jesus. Um, some brief reminders uh, of some of the, the phrases that we used. Um, the concern that we, we were unpacking was that it's possible that we, the church has retreated from really engaging um, with some of the issues around us. We've retreated into a uh, God on Sunday, but not necessarily in the rest of the week. And the, uh, the challenge, the helpful quotation there from Bishop Newbigin is that um, it's in the ordinary secular business of the world that the sacrifices of love and obedience are to be offered to God. The church's primary point of contact, interface, and engagement with the world is through the lives of ordinary members of the congregation. That's you and me. We thought a little bit about uh, that it was the, it, it, our faith required us to, to consider what it meant to be called to be followers of Jesus, to, to be in context, and, and to look to engage with the brokenness of the world. And again, a couple of those quotations um, that I threw up last week. Um, where do we encounter the brokenness of the world. And the uh, Buchner who said, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. That's the backdrop to what um, we're thinking about. Um, I ran out of time last week. A quotation that I was going to um, put up was uh, this one from a, a book I would recommend, Paul Williams, Exiles on Mission. Uh, the subtext is how Christians can thrive in a post-Christian world. Really helpful book, uh, Paul Williams. Uh, the quotation here is over uh, two slides um, uh, worth reading. God has so designed the church that faithful believers scattered throughout society in all kinds of workplaces, neighborhoods, and communities are on the front line of missionary encounter. They don't need to go somewhere else to be missionary fruitful. They need to go into these places under the lordship of Christ. He goes on to say, many church leaders spend a lot of time wondering how to reach a secular society and a lot of energy trying to start programs and initiatives, yet they fail to see that their congregations are already perfectly placed to reach it. Most of them in a place that the church leader could never reach or be credible in. What these believers need 
is the church leader's energetic investment in biblical, theological, and missiological training to help them follow Jesus in the whole of their lives. Really important concept that for us, mission is not something to be delegated to church, but that we are church. And mission is where we are and where we've been placed. And so what we, I want to challenge us to as we start and think about time, talents, and treasure is firstly a fundamental shift in how we view things. Um, one writer talked here again about that there's a fundamental shift in perspective when Christians realize that God intends him or her to live faithfully 24-7 in every area of life, including our work, and subsequently starts questioning what it means to be a Christian in every environment. Don't worry, I'm not just going to give you quotations all morning. But some of these, I think, express it much better than I could. And I want to challenge us to that change in perspective, to call us to that moment when, we, when, when the penny drops, that what God calls us to is a 24-7 living for Jesus, what's our topic called? Jesus in everything. But the difficulty with that, to some extent, is that um, we have had, to some extent, a, 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 maybe a lack of, of theological thinking. We have, we have not thought through what this really means. I talked last week about a failure of theology. Let me explain something uh, of what I mean by that, and, and I recognize that not everyone will agree with me. Some of us were brought up in a theological um, context or in an environment that had quite rightly reacted against a very liberal social gospel that existed around about the turn of the 20th century. Um, such thinking had many good things about it um, in terms of the, some of the great projects of Methodism and so on uh, that impacted into society. But certainly there was a drift that led to the point where um, it was the idea of doing good was the Christian thing. And so that led to very much a heresy of the idea of that we could be saved by our good works, by our efforts. And so very appropriate people reacted against that. And, and there was a swing back to quite rightly the focus on salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works. But somewhere along that journey, as often happens when human beings deal with things, the pendulum, to some extent, swung the other way. So the idea of Christians being involved in good works projects, well, that sort of fell off the radar a little bit. And the focus of Christian thinking narrowed so that very much our focus, understandably, was on personal salvation. But some stuff was... I would suggest, left aside on the journey. Another part of the thinking of which many of us were brought up with was, again, quite properly, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus for his people. But along with that appropriate reminder that Jesus can and will return at any time without our knowledge was a certain element of the fact that this world is for destruction, and therefore, everything related to it, well, that's not worth bothering about. And that's not just something that 
was the thinking in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, you don't have to go too far to our friends in the US where in certain circles of evangelical thinking, there is that, well, you know, forget about the planet because it's, you know, it, it, it's all for the burning. But that sort of shift in thinking is something that is not entirely biblical. Let me make it clear. I believe absolutely that salvation does not come through works. It comes through grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus alone. But we are saved to do good works. We are saved to be missional in how we impact. God is interested in this world. He's interested in our stewardship of this world because we've got to go back to a very original principle of Genesis. Theologians speak about an original cultural mandate given to us as human beings, that we are given stewardship of this earth to care for it, to look after it, for it to flourish and to bring God's flourishing in it. And I want to suggest that nowhere in Scripture pre-fall, post-fall, or in the teachings of Jesus, has that cultural mandate been revoked? Indeed, when we come to Genesis 12, Abraham is reminded, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and also Genesis 18, the mandate was unpacked by God with a reminder that God was blessing Abraham, that Abraham and God's people were to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, And as they blessed the families of the earth, the families of the earth, the nations looked on and said, who are these people? Who is their God? Who is the living God? So their impact on those around them drew honor and glory to the name of God and called people into relationship with God. And therefore, I want to suggest that as we have this change in our perspective, because It's not just folk of my generation, um, but it is there's something lingering through that has brought us into this mindset that Christianity is only interested, or faith is only interested in a narrow portion of our devotional life, rather than it having a wider impact on all areas of our life. And I think that requires a better understanding of God's glory and how we are to bring glory to Him and a wider understanding of what it means to be part of God's great mission. Um, I'll keep the books. I have a a wee pile of books underneath here uh, that I'll keep producing. Um, This um, is a great book, not just for keeping doors open. Um, It's uh, Chris Wright, who spoke at New Horizon, The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Great Narrative. If I had to recommend uh, one book that I'd read in the last three years that was... Um, almost life-changing. It would be Wright's uh, Mission of God. Really helpful, not always an easy read, um, but really helpful. And what um, Chris Wright um, is unpacking is that God's great mission is to bring glory to himself. And we are invited as the people of God to be part of that great mission of drawing people into relationship with him, that God might be glorified. And if we can have, if we can grasp something of that great perspective, then that's going to make a difference to how we see Jesus in everything. Um, Last week in the small groups, I threw a couple of questions, three questions um, that that are helpful for me. 
uh, that whenever we're thinking about this idea of Jesus and everything. How can God be honored in this? Whatever your circumstances, well, that's work life, home life, sporting life, whatever. How can God be honored in this? How can we incarnate the gospel, the good news, in our daily life? And a question that a guy called Matt Tunheg asks, God, what does your kingdom look like in this situation? Helpful questions um, for us to think about. Because we are called to an intentionality to live in a missional way so that the gospel is lived out in our lives. We talked earlier on about the brokenness of the world. And the world is broken in multiple ways by sin. And I would suggest that Christians are called in multiple ways to address all of that brokenness. Ultimately, all of the claims of Jesus on our lives need to be addressed. And when we consider Jesus in everything, then the good news of Jesus encompasses more than what we would normally narrowly identify as evangelism. It is in many areas of life that we are called. Wright helpfully does say that ultimately, ultimately, we must bring that challenge to people as to where eternity is. We ultimately must um, bring into that the impact of what the cross has meant, the incarnation. But that is not simply the, the sole focus on how we engage with people. So our work, our leisure, our sport, our families can be context for a breadth of holistic mission and allows us to express our faith in lots of ways. And our focus this morning is on our time, talents, and treasure. So let's look at some specific unpacking of what this might look like. Jesus and everything can mean a transformed attitude to work. Work life has not normally seen as the context of our mission. Indeed, we're inclined, aren't we, to delegate um, mission to missionaries, evangelism to churches and evangelists, while ordinary people, you and me, well, our job is to provide the funding uh, through our work life. But while not every type of work life is honorable, the vast majority of occupations are appropriate. And they bring dignity to God. They give provision for our needs. And they can be an expression of the nature of God. Now, forgive me if I leave out your occupation here. But have a wee think about it for a moment. God's a creator. He's a designer. He's an architect, Mark. A builder. He's a lawyer. He's a cultivator. He's a doctor. A parent. A teacher. He manages property. He's an engineer, John. He manages assets. He makes music, art, poetry, literature, and so much more. The God that we worship is a God of so many facets and creativity that when we engage in our work life, that can be and should be often an expression of something of us being made in the image of God. Again, back to the books. 
Two books by a guy called Jordan Rayner that I have found helpful. They are uh, less heavyweight than Chris Wright, um, but very, uh, very interesting. Um, Jordan Rayner, The Master of One, Find and Focus on the Work You Were Created to Do, and Called to Create, A Biblical Innovation to Create, Innovate, and Risk. My wife doesn't like that one because it's got the word risk in it. Um, but those books by Jordan Rayner are really helpful in terms of thinking through how we have been created as human beings and how our work life can be a reflection of the glory of God. As we engage in our daily activities, we can allow them to be twisted and distorted by the devil. So let's be alert to it. That it's not simply that we say, well, this is a gifting from God and I can do whatever I like with it, because the devil has taken the very good things of life and he's allowed it to be twisted. That's his method of operation. But we can engage with our abilities in a way which brings honor and glory to Jesus, brings blessing to others, and dignity to ourselves as those made in his image. So I want to suggest that a fresh understanding of who God is, so it's back to this change of perspective, a fresh understanding of who God is, who we are, and what it means to bring honor to the Lord Jesus can transform our attitudes to our work lives as well as all the rest of our lives, Jesus in everything. Another book, um, Business for the Glory of God, Wayne Grudem, uh, and again, a very helpful book in terms of um, of, again, this idea of, of bringing glory to God in various contexts. Let me... No, I'll go back. I'm not there yet. Okay. Um, again, um, second point there, uh, con- a context for Missio Day in its various forms. Again, uh, that's, that's lifting words from, from right. So, A transformed attitude to work is an opportunity for us to to display something of God. But in that context, we we can see mission in a a broad sense. Mission in the sense that we we are bringing glory to God, but it is also often a context where we can engage with people. And as we engage with them and, and live our life in a way which is honoring to God, that raises questions. It raises questions about our different attitude to to, to work and and so on, and can draw them to the Lord Jesus. But we've thought about the idea of this cultural mandate that God um, uh, gave to his people and, and gave to Adam and Eve the governance of the world around us. And so we've got this reminder that work is not something that was created after the fall, It was impacted by the fall, but it was not created after the fall. And one of the things that I find fascinating, the word is up on the screen there, of avodah. The Hebrew word for work is exactly the same word as the word for worship. And therefore, that quotation that I have up there is, God's original design and desire is that our work and our worship would be a seamless way of living. Let's have a think about what it means for our view of work to be transformed. Secondly, I want to suggest that we need to have a transformed attitude to our ability and the source of our ability. Scripture reminds us, Deuteronomy 8 8, verse 18, 
reminds us that whenever we are engaged in activities with our abilities, that these are not something that we have just conjured up of our own right. Deuteronomy 8.18, 8, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's very easy for wealth to seduce us. It's very easy for our own skills to seduce us, for us to feel that we're very clever people. But all that we are and all that we have been given have been given by God. And we must remember that. We need to have a transformed attitude to our ability and the source of our ability. But linked to that necessity for humility is an appreciation and a joy. I have been reading in my daily readings through Exodus, Exodus 28 and through to Exodus 31, as, as God gives the instructions for the construction of the, of the tabernacle and various articles and so on, you find phrases like this, where in Exodus 28, um, God says, instruct all the skills craftsmen whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. And Exodus 31 talks about Belaziel and Oliabob, I think it is their, their names, some of the skilled craftsmen who God says he has filled with the spirit of God with knowledge of all kinds of skills. As we reflect on the good things we've given, the talents we have given, the abilities we've been given. We've got to recognize that God gives us these things to life, live life to the full. Jesus talks about abundant life, life to the full. The blessings of this earth have been given for our provision, for our enjoyment, and for God's glory. God's not a killjoy. He's a God of blessing. But equally, the provisions that he has given us are to be used with responsibility. If we are to recognize Jesus in everything, what does that look like? Can it mean that I use my time, talents, and treasure for my enjoyment, for my excitement, for great projects? Yes, absolutely yes. And that can be to his glory. Great works of art, great projects done for his glory. But let's recognize as well that we live in a broken world. A world where the good provision of God and the gifts that have been given have been disrupted by rebellion, by sin, by selfishness, by greed, and all that has come with a fall. But we are called with what God gives us to be agents of redemption, engaged in that process which includes the proclaiming of the good news of salvation in Jesus through his death and resurrection. But it also includes being redemptive in how we engage with people to God's honor and glory as we bring, right, would say shalom, a wholeness, a peace on this earth in how we engage practically with the elements of brokenness, illness, poverty, hunger, need, injustice. So I want to challenge us as we think about our time and our talents, and indeed as we'll come to in a moment, our treasure, that we've got to wrestle with the balance of what it means to be allowed as we are allowed to enjoy these good things, 
but to use them responsibly in a way which brings glory. Remember, back to one of those questions that I put up earlier on. God, what does your kingdom look like in this situation? When we come to our treasure, I want to suggest that we need a transformed attitude to our ownership and resources. A question that I found helpful was, do we own what we own? Do we own what we own? We sang words earlier on in the heart of worship. All I have is yours. Do we believe it? Do we own what we own? The reality is that everything we have and everything we are is given by the grace of God. We have governance. We have responsibility. We have free will to make choices. But all we have is not exclusively ours, but God's. That's difficult for us to get our heads around, isn't it? And in establishing why there's this dysfunction, this disconnect between faith and our daily lives, we can't overlook the corrosive effects of, of materialism, the challenge of dealing with money. While money, um, despite the misquotation, is not the root of evil, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul tells us when he writes to Timothy. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And there are supernatural forces at work in a spiritual battle. Quotation from Foster uh, on the screen. According to Jesus and all the writers of the New Testament, behind money are very real spiritual powers that energize it and give it a life of its own. Hence, money is an active agent. It's a law unto itself, and it's capable of inspiring devotion. That should ring alarm bells for us, shouldn't it? Capable of inspiring devotion. We have a God who looks for absolute devotion. And we live in a world where this, again, I repeat the words, corrosive effect of dealing with material and materialism is challenging to us. Yet always, there's the risk, isn't there? Because it's probable that an overreaction to the very real dangers of mammon have contributed, for example, to the church's negative view of business. Um, Some cite Wesley's simple solution. Work as hard as possible to make as much money as possible to give away as much money as possible. Avoid personal wealth, said Wesley. I want to suggest that's not an adequate response simply to, in a sense, you know, flee from the problem rather than engage in the battle. I want to suggest that there's a need for an appropriate wrestling with these issues in a way which neither surrenders nor retreats from the battle, nor indeed fails to recognize that there is a battle. Up on the screen, Again, a quotation from a writer called Johnston who wrote a book on business as mission. I find this really helpful as a business person. Um, Apply it to your circumstances. He says, who owns the business? Me or God? If God does, then what's my role in it? Is there a kingdom purpose for this business? If so, what is it? Are profits really evil? 
Should I leave business to be in full-time ministry, as many in the church have told me? Is it possible that God could have called me to business just as a pastor is called to the pulpit? Can I be both a successful business person and an obedient follower of Jesus Christ? Can I reconcile my understanding of business rules with biblical principles? How? Powerful questions. And one of the things that I want to suggest is that we need to engage with questions. And we need not simply to sit, you know, and and I'm very thankful for your respectful sitting, looking at the, the screen and listening to me, but we need to engage with one another. If I want to unpack something of the practicality of this, as we wrestle with what it means to be Jesus in everything, as we think about our our business life, our professional life, our home life, what might we want to do? Well, one of them is to face questions and raise questions, to talk to one another about it. That's why last Sunday evening was useful. But let's do that in in a natural way. What about those times when we're wrestling with some of these questions in our lives? Do we think that's worthy of prayer? Yes, it is. Do we think it's worthy of asking for prayer? Yes, it is. I want to be practical. When I finish this morning, I'm going to be up here at the front. There are other people around you. Maybe there's something going on in your work life that's troubling you. Ask someone to pray with you about it. Come and talk to me. I want to pray about it. If there's something you're wrestling with, talk to us about it so that we can learn from one another and learn what it is for Jesus to be in everything. I want to suggest that Jesus in everything ought to bring a transformed attitude to our giving and keeping. If God is the owner of everything, then what are the implications for the resources that I'm in control of? How should funds be used? How much should I give? How much should I keep? There appears, we would think, to be a biblical principle of giving 10% or thereabouts, tithing. But when you look closely at the Old Testament principles, it's a lot more complex than that. The firstborn of, the, of, a, of a herd of an animal was to give unto the Lord. Um, the first, the best of the harvest at the beginning was to give the Lord. That was before the, the 10%. It's a lot more complex than that. And we come to the New Testament. There are some principles that we don't have time to go into the detail, but again, these slides are available to you. Principles of generosity, of sharing with one another, of giving in accordance with your ability to give, a principle of helping the weak, a principle of responding to needs that we see, and a principle of thinking through what's right to give, considering what's right to give, and then giving cheerfully. Let me earth this in the reality of Bethany. On Wednesday evening, I rang Will, he's our treasurer, to tell me about the finances of Bethany. My concern that I share with you is that at the moment, in our cost of living crisis, on a monthly basis, pretty much what comes in to Bethany is what we spend in Bethany in our projects. But if you think back to lots of AGMs and so on, 
Bethany's giving its impact normally does a lot more than that. We are fairly generous in terms of how we give to other ministries because we need those other ministries, those organizations, the exoduses, the love for life, the folk who are out on mission field engaged in that form of mission for us. But at the moment, over these last three months, the amount that we have coming in to the resources of Bethany is the same amount that we are consuming in the works of Bethany. And you and I know that there's nothing or little that we are doing that we don't want to be doing. But at the moment, we're not covering our overheads. Well, we're covering our overheads, but there's not enough left to do the rest of the giving that we're doing. Now, we're still doing it because we've got some reserves that are there. But when we think about these things, this is not just theological theory. This is the real life of, if I'm going to come to God in prayer and say, Lord, I pray for the, for the needs of Bethany, then is there not a possibility that the Lord's going to say to me, Ian, I hold all the resources of the earth to be available for my purposes, but you have some of those resources in your pocket, friend. So if we're going to take seriously Jesus in everything, then we've got to have a transformed attitude to giving and keeping, and we've got to think it through. And on behalf of the leadership team here in Bethany, can I encourage you to think about what our responsibility is in terms of our giving? Feel free to talk to Will or James, I'm sure they'll be happy to help you. But this isn't just theory. This is something that we need to look at the reality of. And so as I conclude, understanding the gospel is not understanding a technique or a formula or a set of rules, but it's forming a kingdom worldview and lifestyle that is about following Jesus in every element of our lives, informing our plans our evaluations, our activities, Jesus in everything. And if we could adopt this at scale, then that's going to have a, an enormous impact on the problems and issues of this world. It will bring blessing to others, and it will point people to Jesus. Such an embrace of our calling, as we talked about last week, needs to be underpinned by the equipping and supporting of the church. And that's what we want to be doing, and that's why we're having this series to equip one another and to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to equip us in this holy calling. But we need to consider how we reflect on how our faith can be intentionally integrated in every area of our lives and how each of those areas can be missional for us to act as salt, as light, as Christ's ambassadors. As I said earlier on, what are we to do with this? I suggest we talk that this is a prompter for us to have real discussions about what it means to wrestle with these issues, that we learn, that we see what God's Word says. We've skated over a lot of these issues, but God's Word is full. It's powerful, as we're reminded, to equip us in every way, and there's a lot to teach us about our work life, our use of time our talents, and our treasure.
We need to pray. We need to pray practically. And we need to transform, therefore, how we pray. And if we're going to do that, we need to understand what the needs are. And that's why I say, let's share with one another what we're wrestling with, and let's struggle together in prayer, and God will answer. And we need to act. Where is the beauty of God that I can show? Where is the brokenness of this world that I can minister into? Talk, learn, pray, act. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word that speaks into each area of our lives. We thank you for your spirit that walks this journey with us and allows us to live as children of God. Father, we pray that you might transform our attitudes to our work lives, our use of time, that you would transform our attitudes to our abilities, that you would transform our attitudes to the resources that you have placed under our control. Father, we pray that we might understand what it is for Jesus to be in everything. In his name and for his glory we ask it. Amen.